want you to think of a, of a phrase that you remember Jesus saying that in, in your mind sort of is the, what I'm calling the game changer. The, the, those words that, as you imagine, his first listeners hearing those words, they would have been shocked. They, they would have, the words might have seemed incomprehensible to them in the same way that you still find them either invigorating or complex. But the words that stick out to you, the words that I'm calling the game changers. Whatever words come to mind, it's fair to say you, you got the answer right. It's, it's not a trick question. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that anything Jesus said was probably a game changer. It, it, everything from that moment throughout history was going to be different. The ones that I'm most familiar with and the ones that I would have anticipated that some of you might have thought. Some of you probably remembered him saying, love your enemies. Who had ever heard, I mean, what, what kind of concept? Who had ever heard of something like that? Some of you might have, have thought about um, him saying, I am the way, or even as Peter was sharing this morning when Jesus said, just, I am. All of those, anything you came up with was fine. This morning, I want to share with you what I think is one of those game changers that, that deserves to be in that that top list of maybe the one, two, three, or four, five things that Jesus said that from that moment on everything was different. And his first listeners, I think, would have had to struggle to comprehend what he was talking about. The problem is that the words, the two words I'm going to share with you are so familiar to us. They have rolled off our tongues so often and in such a common way that they have no shock value. They have no moment where we pause and think about them. So we're going to do that with two words today that I think are the game changers. And these are those two words. When Jesus said this, Our Father. I believe those two words were unprecedented in the history of religious leaders and I think somewhat confusing to his first listeners. But they are the words that capture for me so much of what it means to be his follower. So I'm going to share with you why I think those are radical. And I'm going to invite you to join me. Why? Starting with the second word, I'm going to start with the Father, our Father. Why is that so radical. Well, it, it changes sort of the, um, the, the scope of, of, of asking. We all have a, a sense that, that our asking of friends and people is, is rooted in some intuition of relationship. For example, you, you could go from here, you could be down on the 16th Street Mall, you could walk up to almost any stranger and you could make at least two requests of almost any stranger. You know what they are? What time is it? 
And how do you get to blank? So we all agree, like, so we all understand, we, we intuit that relationally, I can even go to somebody I don't even know, but sort of based on our common Denver, whatever it is, I can ask you what time it is, and I can ask you how to get someplace. And 20 years ago, I could ask you for a light, but we don't do that anymore. It used to be three, now we're down to two. You, you, you know, you think about it, you can, your, your neighbor, you, you can ask your neighbor for certain things because they're your neighbor, and it's, it's, it's not a stretch. I mean, it's never comfortable. Like, even asking somebody what time it is feels awkward, but you can do it. it based on the relationship. Think for a minute about your landlord. Now, if you have a landlord, that's a different kind of a relationship, and you're maybe even a little more bold to ask because you're paying them. And then you think about your friends. You can ask friends for lots of things. I have two friends that I can call anytime. I can call at three in the morning. I, if I called them at three in the morning, I would not have to spend 20 minutes apologizing for calling them at three in the morning. Our relationship is such that it's perfectly okay for me to do that. That's not true for every friend I have. At least I don't feel like it is. So anyhow, the, 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 when, when Jesus introduces this word, he's, he's changing the way in which, or, or he's changing what we can ask for. And we're going to hear that in that prayer that he then shares. A prayer that's unique on its own basis. He, he changes, you see, the, the basis of how we ask. As I just alluded to, almost all relationships are based on some form of reciprocity. That's not bad. That's just life. It goes like this. If you, and I'm going to use the word perform, you can maybe come up with a better word. If you blank, then you will be accepted or rewarded. That's how most human relationships function. That's how you function at work. That's how you function with your Uber driver. That's how you just function in the world. If you blank, I'll even go back, even how you ask on the 16th Street Mall. If you ask nicely, you can get directions. That's just how we, but families function different. Because you are accepted, not if you are accepted, but because you are accepted, because you are family, you then hopefully choose to perform in a certain way. Now, let me take a side note for just a moment and, and acknowledge that we're talking about this radical word that Jesus introduces, this idea of God as Father. That immediately, for many of us in this room, is problematic. Already we're going, well, that's not all that helpful. Because what I have imprinted in my, my experience and in my memory is the image and the sort of the gut reaction to this word father that is not warm and inviting. In fact, it's off-putting. 
What's interesting is even that can inform you about what Jesus is actually talking about. You know intuitively that's not what he's talking about with God, even though that may be some of what you're feeling. As I root out my own spirituality, I understand this idea of reciprocity is at the root of my sort of bad belief system. Because you see, my family crest was there is no free lunch. Like that was our most noble moment when my parents could help us conceive that there's no free lunch. My brothers, we, my, I have a half brother and a full brother. We, when we're together, we to this day, I'm 56, my older brother's 58, my younger brother's 40 something, and we will still talk about those times when mom said yes to something. Hey mom, can I join the soccer team? It's 15 bucks. Yep, that'll be great. And you're just, I think that's awesome. I, we, we, can, we just now, we guarantee now, and how silly we were as kids to not remember that there was going to be a weekend that was going to be shot because we would wake up on a Saturday and mom would go, remember that $15 I gave for soccer? There ain't no free lunch. Over and over and over. Imagine for a moment, speaking of this reciprocity, let's imagine for a moment that you rent out a, a room in your home. You have a border in your home. And let's say that renter lies to you, steals from you, never cleans. You would end that relationship, right? But is not a person who lies and steals and never cleans up, is that not the definition of a teenager? Isn't that exactly what a teenager does? Isn't that who they are? Do you in your home have teenagers and a change jar? I promise you, they're stealing from your change jar. My kids are mid-30s now, in their 20s. Christmas every year, a part of our Christmas experience was stories from high school. Stories that they felt like they could now tell because there is like a statue of limitations or something like that. So when my kids were in high school, I was still drinking. I wasn't drinking heavily at that time, but we had alcohol in our home. And I remember, I remember on several occasions going, man, that is some cheap vodka. Like, it just tastes watery. And then I thought. And I went to my children, and my kids were pretty good kids. As you know, on the average of kids, they were C-plus kinds of kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and I looked at them, and I said, are, are you guys stealing my liquor and pouring water in it? And they, right in my eyes, no. <laughs> and they got a little weepy, like, well, what kind of hurt you would even us? You're accusing me of something. And I felt terrible. I got mad at the vodka people. At about 24, stories of high school come out. Oh, yeah, we were stealing your liquor all the time. <laughs> but as you can understand, never was their place as my child wasn't even on the table. Like, that, that, we, we, that was never, never even thought about that. 
Because they, they're, not, they're not borders. The relationship is not based on reciprocity. It is based on relationship, on family. And we think, and you know, obviously we're going, well, of course. I mean, that's, of course, that's, that's how we relate to God. That, that, yeah, we know that. Here's some ways to begin to sort of root out in your own life. Is this really true for me, this idea that he is our father? Because what happens, as what often happens, when our father is slow to answer our prayer, one, we might become angry. Now, I'm not managing your anger. I'm not saying anger is wrong, but it might be an indicator. If you become angry at God because the answer seems to be slow in coming, it might, you might be angry because you thought you had to deal with God. You see, you might be saying to God, hey, I've been really good. I've done everything a good boarder is supposed to do. I've kept my room clean. I haven't been stealing. I haven't been lying. I've been really good. God, you're not upholding your end of the deal. We're angry because we think he's become a bad landlord. Not because as a father we trust that he, he naturally only does what's in our best interest, which sometimes and often seems to be that we wait. That's for another sermon. Or, which is more common for me, I'm less often angry with God than I become anxious. And this is my thought. The reason he's not responding the way I want him to respond is because there's something wrong with me. I'm actually not a very good boarder. I am pretty messy. In fact, I steal. And I've lied to him. And I think he's mad at me. And I think he wants to kick me out of the house. That's more common for me because my default is I can't, I'm having a hard time after all these years, I'm still struggling, that my relationship with God is not based on reciprocity. That it's not about me trying to be good. I am, um, I, I want to acknowledge that in the scriptures, a little side point, as it talks, as the Bible's trying to tell this story and paint this picture, and God, who is infinite, if we're honest, is limited to words. He gave his great word in, 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 the, in the person of the Lord Jesus, but he also said things, and, and people wrote things down, and those are also words, and it, you, sometimes you can sense that God is, is limited by those words in a way because we're human, and that's how we communicate. And, and so one of the ways he is trying to tell the story about us as his children is this word adoption shows up in the Bible. So I just want to say real quickly something about that. My, um, my granddaughter, who, as you know, I adore, and I believe the sun rises so she may be warm, was she's adopted. And as we were as we were anticipating having a grandchild, I want you to know that for my, my daughter, I believe, had been married 11 years before 
she um, granted my request to be a grandfather. I, I feel like she's a very selfish child. And, um, and I did not want to be one of those parents who was always nagging about that. So I wasn't one of those. But when they were first married, and they were married young, I said to them, I'm not going to hassle you about, you know, when am I going to get to be a grandfather, but here's what I am going to do, is I'm going to put away a little bit of money. And every year that there is not a grandchild, some of that money is going to go away. So it's all about, you know. <laughs> so I don't, want to, I don't want to be accused of being manipulative. It's really, I'm empowering you to make your decision. So all that to say is I will own, and, and my kids will acknowledge, I wanted to be a grandparent almost more than anything because I wanted a do-over from how I had parented. So my daughter shared with us that she had heard God three times in her life. She'd heard God say, marry Chris, be a nurse, and adopt children. And so she had checked off two of her list and it was time for the third. Now I will own, I didn't know anything about adoption. And I can say I was a little bit nervous. I can say that now. I didn't know. How am I, like, is it going to feel different? I've always wanted to be a grandparent, but is this going to be different? We got the call that Katie, the birth mother, was in labor. I jumped on the next plane. I flew into Jackson, Wyoming, and from there it was a several, two and a half hour drive up to Riverton. And the whole time I'm wondering, how am I going to feel when I meet my granddaughter? Is it going to be different? because it's not biological. And I can say, I can tell you now, it's even, I, it's hard for me to talk about. I opened the door, I was about 15 minutes late. I, I opened the door, there's my granddaughter. And literally, for almost 20 minutes, I embarrassingly sobbed. Now, I'm not, I mean, I cry easily, and I'm not embarrassed by crying, that, that, that's not a big deal to me. I'm not talking about a few tears. I'm talking where you can't breathe. They're worried about snot getting on the child, that kind of crying. And there was not a nanosecond of not bonding with Frankie. There was not a nanosecond of, I don't know, is this really my kid or grandchild? It, it, none of that. None of that. I have thought so much about the story of adoption in the scripture and God adopting us. I shared it with my daughter. I mean, there, and, 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 and the un, so I can just tell you this. There, there's, not a, there's not tears of being a parent where biological and adoption are two different kinds of, at least in my experience, there, there's not that. But there is a unique risk at adopting. You see, Frankie's biologicals are both horse people. Her biological mom lives on a horse farm. Her biological um, birth mom has... Her whole family is all about horses. Her biological dad is Native American and is a rodeo professional. So I am anticipating that one day when she's 11 and Frankie at four is crazy about horses. You know where this is going, right? She's 11 and gets grounded. What is she going to say to her mom? I want to go live with those people. I think I could get a better deal over there. And I have thought, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I do to our, my father who adopted me all the time. When something doesn't quite go my way, 
I'm going, hey, I think I'm going to go back over here. I can get a better deal. Little note, as it relates to father and parenting and adoption. This idea of, of, of dad and struggling with what that is is, is is so part of my own story. Wanting to, to know and to long for that. I remember when my mother married my stepfather. I was six years old. She married Jim. Jim was 41, had never been married. Jim had his own sort of horrible story, but he never shared it. We found out, you know, you put pieces together about his experience in World War II and his experience growing up in an alcoholic home, his experience of losing his own mother. All that to say, he was one of the coldest people in all the years I have lived. He is, to this day, the one of the coldest people I've ever met. And I remember as a six-year-old, so wanting to be loved by somebody, by a man, that I would try to win him over. I remember when he would sometimes come home from work and I would try to hold him and kiss him. I remember when I started getting allowance, I got 10 cents a week, and if I saved up for two weeks, I could, go to the, I could go to the dime store, and I remember buying him a bottle of aftershave. And oh, how when I gave, I can still remember little seven or eight-year-old Carl, I can still remember giving that to him, and hoping that he would just gush over me, and he would, and he would spontaneously want to hold me and kiss me and love me. But that never happened. Even as a child, I, I, that longing to, and intuiting what a father does, what it means. My own dad, who was warm and affectionate when I was with him, but was always absent. At best, when I still lived in Alabama, I only saw him every other weekend. And it was strained because he, he had married a woman who had her own child and I remember as an adult, not that long ago, I was in therapy. And I don't know if you're familiar, I, we won't go into it, in, I was doing EMDR. And it's, it's a way to sort of remember your past and, and for God to bring some healing to your past. I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that. And, and the most perhaps profound moment in, in my own journey with counseling and therapy was remembering a moment I had forgotten that will seem so benign to you, but was so deep, deep to me. My, my dad, I'd gone to visit. It was usually, the pickup was on Friday, and my dad was out of town, and on the way from picking me up, my stepmother swung by his place of work. And there was me and my stepbrother, and we were going to go by his place of work to pick up his paycheck. And when we got there, I opened the door to run in to get it, and she said, wait, let Lee go, my stepbrother. They don't know who you are. And when that memory came back, the, I can't tell you, I don't, the, the eruption of pain that happened in me. They don't know who you are. They don't know that you belong to your dad. 
you're something else. You're a different kind of son. I'm saying all that because rooted in Jesus' radical statement, our Father, it's not that He imagines that we have experienced great fathers, but we intuit what it is to know, to want to belong to a father. And that's completely different than what people sort of anticipate as you're talking about deity. If he had begun his prayer, our creator, or our king, true words to describe our God, but none of the intimacy, none of the warmth that he so longs for us to have. Our first radical word is Father. But the second word we'll look at is equally radical. When he begins, Our Father. So just so we understand a little bit historically, Jesus is on a hillside. He's speaking to his 12 best friends, but there is around him lots and lots of other people. This is, this is the sermon that has sort of been condensed where Jesus is describing, even as he prayed, you know, the kingdom come, he is describing what the kingdom on earth looks like in this sermon. And there is a, a, all kinds of people there. But within the twelve, let me give you an example of the kind of diversity that is represented. You have Simon. Simon is called the zealot. That's a, that's a, a sect of people. Zealots had one singular objective in the year that Jesus was speaking. They, they were, for lack of a better word, they were obsessed by one thing, and that was the indignity of being occupied by Romans. The, the, the horror and the filth of God's chosen people being suppressed by Romans was unimaginable to them, and so they believed that armed and violent resistance, subversive resistance, was what God was calling them to do. They hated anything to do with Romans. They hated anything that did not preserve the purity of Israel. And next to Simon is his fellow disciple, Matthew, the tax collector. Oh, the Romans were brilliant. The Romans were brilliant in knowing how to extract the maximum resources from an occupied people using terror and using force, but also using cunning to, to get as much as they could without sort of tipping them over the edge. And one of the ways they did that was they used fellow Jews to be the one who got the money. Under the power and authority of Rome, 
Matthew made a deal that he would get a commission, he'd get a cut for the money that he could extort from his fellow Jewish citizens. He collaborated, saved his neck, and made him wealthy. Imagine how Simon feels about Matthew. Jesus prays, our Father. Can you think of any contemporary examples where one group might say to another group, there is no way these folks here are Christians? Yeah, me neither. I can't think of any. I, um... there, there's something I think that Jesus is tapping, to in, tapping into here. That there is a human instinct, to believe that, that God is ours, that we have sort of an exclusive right to Him. One of the ways Jesus talks about that is in His most famous story, one of His most famous stories, at least His most famous story about a dad. You're, you're familiar with the, the story of the prodigal sons. Most commonly, you hear it as the story of the prodigal son. I don't know that that's accurate. I don't think that one son is more prodigal than the other son. One is more demonstrative. But, 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 but both have a unique way of dealing with God, with their father. In the story the younger son who out of turn and out of place gets his inheritance and then it says he goes to a foreign land and he squanders all of his dad's money embarrassing his father embarrassing his brother you know taking down the family name and he ends up in a destitute place when the consequences of his actions have overwhelmed him he decides that he will come back to the father but he decides that he's going to come back. He makes a plan that he's going to come back and he's going to relate to God, quite frankly, exactly the way the older son relates. Because you remember the older son, it says, was out in the fields and he worked all the time. He was doing, he was a, quote, good kid. One of the things I was, sort of startled me last night in all the times I've preached about this, I've preached on this message, I haven't noticed. And that is that the beginning and default position for both kids was that they were his sons. Neither one of them was, in fact, enjoying the benefit of being the son of this father. But they were. I often will admit that my sort of evangelism, my sharing the good news, has often been sort of rooted in the fact that, or at least in the belief, that somebody wasn't the child of God. But this story changes that, that the story begins, they are the children of God, but they're not enjoying being the child of God. You can, you can repent 
I think more easily, once experiencing the consequences of bad decisions, I think in some ways it's easier to repent of that than it is to repent of the older son's self-righteousness. Both are being asked to change their mind about what they believe it is to be in relationship with Father. One believing that shame has disqualified them, and the other believing that their goodness has in fact qualified them. And both of those will keep you distance experientially from the love of the Father. Our Father. For me, I think, perhaps evangelism is one child who is enjoying the benefit of being his child is going to find the child that by either shame or self-righteousness has disqualified themselves and telling them, Dad misses you. Not that dad, dad wants to punish you, but dad misses you. Jesus, um, he drops, I think, this game changer into the world when he says those two words, our Father. Let's pray together. As we, for just a few moments, sit quietly, I'd like for you to, if you can, just keep saying those words over in your mind, our Father. For those of us who feel the sting of our shame, who sit reminded of all the ways in which we're not worthy to be called your sons or your daughters, oh, I, I pray that you remind us that you love us. Lord, those of us who feel angry because we believed we deserved something, we earned it, we worked hard for it. Set us free from our self-righteousness to enjoy you, our Father. Amen. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, made a way for us to together experience our Father. He said it's the, um, 
He said it's the new covenant. It's the, it's the new deal. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the, he took the cup. Am I doing this right? Okay. I messed up the juice and the wine last night. It was very embarrassing. He said, this is the blood of the new deal, the new covenant. In other words, this idea of relating to God as Father is not, it's not on you. It's on me. willing to pray with you and to listen to you here on either side. Let me close with this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen.